everybody. We are Joe and Rachel Tenney. We're friends of Kevin, and he's kindly given us a chance to share with you what we are doing with our podcast, Control Free Christianity. Sometimes good and beautiful things like the Bible, church, even teachings about God himself are misused. People can use these things of God to control, manipulate, and abuse others. What should bring freedom in life end up bringing bondage? How do we work through things like spiritual abuse, narcissism in the church, and overbearing authority? Join Rachel and I as we podcast most weeks as we share what has brought us and so many other people freedom in Jesus. We would love to have you join us. You can find us by searching for Control Freak Christianity on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform, or you can head to controlfreakchristianity.com. See you there. You're listening to the serialized preview of The Many Phases of Lily Andrews, Phase 4, Artificial, written and read by Kevin Morris. To unlock the full ad-free version of this audiobook as it airs, head over and support the project on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash lilyandrews. That's Lily spelled L-I-L-Y. If you haven't yet listened to the original three short stories, Phases 1 through 3, they are available on Audible. The link is in the show notes. To learn more, visit theminiphasesoflilyandrews.com. Thanks for listening. Chapter 3. Science Lily ran her hands over the cover of the Pew Bible, feeling the grooves of the words. H-O-L-Y-B-I-B-L-E Tiny flakes of gold typeface came off on her fingers and rained down onto her green dress. The book had to be decades old. Starting next week, Mrs. Linda Albright will be leading our Wednesday evening high school group as they go through the book of Acts. Elder Boyce, who was in charge of the announcements, stood at the podium reading what was now the sixth item on his list. Lily reached down and touched her ankles with her fingertips, stretching the muscles in her arms and legs. All the singing for the service had concluded, meaning that Pastor Steve would begin his sermon soon, following a few reminders to the congregation. Though she had always generally liked church, she still got restless. The church elder was a nice man, but Lily wished he read faster. She would rather be listening to things about God than church activities that held little relevance to her. Miles and Veronica seemed to be getting along just fine, lost to the world with their pencils and drawing paper. They were both still young enough to doodle in church. According to her parents, Lily was now too grown up for this accommodation. Long gone were the days of leaving a cup of water on the backyard table for Jesus. However, since then, she had learned that Jesus, in fact, had come down to earth to drink a cup once. Just once, though, and it was long before her time. She tilted her head to get a better angle of what Miles was drawing. Lately, it was all her brother seemed to do, and he was really good at it. Though he still spent a good amount of time in his head, he now returned to the world with images of the things from his mental adventures. He appeared to be drawing some kind of cat-like creature. It was hard to tell what kind of animal it would be, since the work was still in progress. Based on what she knew about him, Lily guessed it would probably end up being a lion. Miles noticed his sister's eyes on his drawing and turned away, obscuring her view. Why did he always have to be so private? Who did he think he was? It wasn't like she cared what he was doing. Lily snapped her head back towards the front in a manner she hoped would make her snobby brother feel what she was thinking. Both her and her aunt's family sat on the same church pew, 
There was a symmetry in the order the parents sat each Sunday. Lily's dad sat on the far left, with her mother on his right, and her uncle sat on the far right with her aunt to his left. This just happened naturally. Lily and William, who were much closer than Miles and Veronica, sat together in the middle, with each of their younger siblings between them and their respective mothers. The room had gone quiet. Elder Boyce yielded his spot on the stage to the pastor, who was now opening his Bible on the podium. The passage for this morning is John 7, 37 through 52. The sound of pages turning whispered through the sanctuary, like leaves rustling in a grove. When things quieted down, the pastor began. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Lily heard the beginning, but lost focus as Pastor Steve continued. She was usually very attentive in church, at least when scripture was read. In fact, she often found that, in a strange way, learning about Jesus always seemed to teach her things about herself. But today, she could not keep her mind from wandering. Her eyes bounced from person to person. It was always interesting to see how people acted in church. Many of the faces in the sanctuary showcased a longing to be elsewhere. She had asked her dad once why some people look so bored in church. I suppose it's because they don't really want to be there, he had replied, choosing his words carefully. Then why do they go? They feel like they have to. Why? Many people think that it pleases God. Lily had frowned at that, more puzzled than upset. Does it? She finally asked after a pause. Would it please you if people who didn't really want to spend time with you came to visit and acted like they'd rather be somewhere else? Lily had said no. There was not much to look at during the service. Occasionally, a person would somehow manage to nod off, despite how cold the sanctuary was, and jerk their head back up. Or a baby would start crying and its mother would carry it from the room. Other than that, everyone was quiet and still with their eyes fixed on the pastor. Three rows in front of her, she could see the back of Emmy's head. She seemed so far away. Her best friend's black hair seemed the most reflective under the light of the church's chandeliers. Her parents sat on each side of her. The three of them sat very straight and attentive. It was her father's way. Mr. Easton was a respected doctor who not only practiced locally, but also traveled and spoke at medical conventions around the world. This professionalism seemed to saturate his general demeanor. But though he could seem intimidating, Lily knew the man's true nature. Once Mr. Easton warmed up to someone, he was actually very playful and funny. On more than one occasion, he had joined Emmy and her for activities such as jumping on their trampoline or riding bikes. She glanced over at William, who was sitting with his elbows on his knees, staring at the ground. One of his legs bounced, causing his entire upper body to vibrate slightly. He was obviously uncomfortable on the wooden seat. However, Lily knew better than to mistake his posture for one of disinterest. He was almost certainly listening. It was sometimes hard to believe what the kid could do and still be paying attention. Mrs. Winston was not the only teacher that wrestled with this concept nearly every school day. The only class Lily had ever seen fully captivate her cousin was science. In fact, he often told her he was going to dedicate his life to studying her superpower, his word, not hers. The older she got, the more Lily believed that more could be learned about her gift in this building than in any laboratory. Forcing her mind back to the sermon, she thought about Jesus' words. She had heard the term living water used several times in the Bible. It was funny. Even though she was fairly sure it was meant to be a metaphor, any time she tried to imagine what it might look like, the image in her head looked a lot like liquid sunshine.
Monday came around as if there had been no weekend at all, and Lily found herself at the water fountain just outside of her fourth period science class. She flinched when the icy water first made contact with her lips, but then welcomed the refreshing temperature once the initial shock had gone. When she was content, she pulled the straps of her backpack further up on her shoulders and made her way into the classroom. The first thing that caught her eye was Mrs. Carla's trademark plastic skeleton in the front corner of the room behind the teacher's desk. It had been outfitted with a top hat and cane. His name was Philip. No one knew why. Man, how much water did you drink? William asked as Lily sat down at her desk, which was the desk to the right of her cousins. I wasn't drinking the whole time, she defended. You're so gonna have to pee before class is over, William teased. Ew, no I'm not she backsassed. The bell rang as Chapel Davis entered the room, clearly relieved to have made it in time. Mrs. Carla entered behind the girl, giving her a congratulatory look for her good fortune. Get your green textbooks while I take roll and we'll get started, their teacher directed as she closed the door. Everyone made their way to the back shelves to retrieve their books while the teacher called out names to see who was present. William always insisted on bringing Lily her book when he went to get his own, so she stayed put. Corey? Miss Carla called without a response. Does anyone know if Corey is absent or late? He threw up all over his sister on the trampoline last night and is homesick today, Sean Cooper informed the class. Lily noticed that the boy's right eye was swollen shut, most likely the result of another instance of not thinking before he spoke. Thanks for that detailed account, Sean. Mrs. Carla's sarcasm was unmistakable. Next time a simple he's sick will suffice. The science teacher was almost never entirely serious, and when she was, she could transition back into a joke so seamlessly that it was hard to keep up. This was one of the many things that had made the woman Lily's favorite teacher. The other main attribute that deserved admiration was Mrs. Carla's general disposition towards her students. She was one of the few teachers everyone called by her first name. In fact, the only reason Lily even knew that her last name was Fields was because the teacher had written her full name on the chalkboard once on the first day of school. After that, she requested that everyone call her by her first name and asked if she could refer to everyone else by theirs. She claimed that, in a town this size, they were bound to be constantly recognized and judged by who their parents were, and Mrs. Carla would know, as she had actually taught many of the parents of the current student body. But they were not their parents, and they could be as much like them or unlike them as they wanted. She reminded them of that often. As a result, she pledged to only call them by the name that made them unique. There does seem to be a stomach bug going around. Be sure to wash your hands every chance you get, Mrs. Carla told the class as she got up and placed the attendance sheet on the outside of the classroom door for the office aide to collect. Once that chore was taken care of, she made her way to the blackboard. Alrighty, open up your books. Someone tell me, what page did we stop at yesterday? 352, William promptly reminded her. Thank you, William. Let's turn to page 352. And for the record, I did not forget what page we were on. I was testing you to see if you paid attention yesterday. Smiles accompanied the sound of pages turning. Then the lecture began. We have been studying the different kinds of cells and the parts that make them up. Mrs. Carla paused, seeming to notice something behind Lily. Austin, quit whispering to Katie. And I see you dozing back there, Aiden. Wake up and pay attention. It was a challenge to get away with anything in this class. Mrs. Carla had eyes like a hawk and the uncanny ability to teach and patrol at the same time. Several students turned around and looked at the offenders. Lily did not. There was no point in embarrassing them further. Today, we'll be looking at the mitochondria. Does anyone know what this organelle does? 
William's hand shot up, which was followed by a brief stillness. When no one else's hand went up, Mrs. Carla gave him permission to answer. It produces energy for the cell. Right-o, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, she continued. Lily's focus began to wane. She was glad she'd ended up in this particular course with her cousin. It meant she got to see William in his element. This was the only class where his behavior was flawless and his participation was painfully high. In science, he was that one student always ready with the answer. As a result, Mrs. Carla usually bypassed him when his hand went up to give the other students a chance. If only his conduct was this good in all of his courses. Aiden, go splash some water on your face. Don't think I don't appreciate the irony, but we can't have you falling asleep during a lesson on energy production. When you come back, you better be able to stay awake or you'll be on the wall next recess. Lily watched as a dark-haired boy dressed in all black stumbled across the room. There were bags under his eyes, and she could not tell if he had bedhead or if his hair was styled to look that way. He wore a chain from his pocket to his belt loop, which jingled faintly as he walked. She knew little about the boy. He had transferred into their class at the beginning of the year. Since then, most had kept their distance. Not only did the kid dress punkish, but he seemed to have as much interest in making friends as paying attention in class. Or at least that was the vibe he gave off. He kept to himself and others left him alone. This was all hearsay, but it was not difficult to believe given the daily evidences. As he was leaving the room, a paper wad soared through the air and bounced off his head. I saw that, Garrett, Mrs. Carlos scolded the pitcher. That's ten minutes on the wall today. Please go dispose of your trash. I don't take kindly to littering. After letting out a groan, a blonde-haired boy left his seat and swaggered across the room to retrieve the projectile. Now, like I was saying, the energy currency produced by the mitochondria is called ATP. It's produced in our cells through a process called aerobic respiration. Can anyone tell me a crucial requirement for aerobic respiration? The class was silent. Everyone looked down at their books in an attempt to find the answer or to pretend to search for one. Here's a hint. You breathe it. William's hand rocketed skyward, along with a few others. Victoria, the teacher called on someone else. Oxygen? The curly-haired girl to the right of Lily answered. Correct. Without oxygen, cells have to use a process called anaerobic respiration, which happens outside of the mitochondria and isn't nearly as helpful. Just then, the lights began to stutter. Lily thought for a moment that her eye had twitched, blinking rapidly a few times. Mrs. Carla paused. Then the electricity went out completely. A few of the girls in the class squealed. William gave Lily an I-told-you-so look in reference to their conversation at the fort. An excitement swept through the air at the prospect that class might not continue as normal. Then Mrs. Carla crushed their hopes. Don't think this means we're stopping. I'm more than capable of teaching in the dark. It is one of my many talents. Now quiet. Several of the kids groaned. Lily turned to William, hoping to share a look of disappointment. However, he was already immersed in his textbook again. It was tempting to poke fun at him, but she decided against it. The unexpected blackout had made one thing painfully obvious. William had been right. She did have to go to the bathroom. Hoping that Mrs. Carla might be more understanding with the lights out, Lily raised her hand. Yes, Lily? Can I go to the bathroom? I'll just be a minute, she requested meekly. Mrs. Carla sighed. I don't know why you guys are such a mess after recess. You're either too hyper, falling asleep, or your bowels are about to burst. There were a few snickers in the back of the classroom. Okay, Lily, go ahead. Should I get out my stopwatch and time you? Please don't. 
Lily said uneasily. She dipped her head in gratitude and rose to leave. She was lucky Mrs. Carla's room was near the doors to the playground. Without the daylight streaming in from the glass, it would have been fairly hard to see in the hallway. In fact, now that she thought about it, finding a toilet in the dark bathroom was going to be a challenge. But as soon as that thought had crossed her mind, the light sputtered back to life. The timing could not have been more perfect, as she had just reached the door to the girl's bathroom. As she reached for the handle, she heard the door to the boy's bathroom on the opposite wall open. She turned the doorknob and glanced over her shoulder in one motion. There stood the dark-haired boy who had been sent out of class. He stopped awkwardly upon noticing her noticing him. It appeared that splashing water on his face had done wonders for him. He no longer seemed like he might pass out from exhaustion. He acknowledged Lily with a shy smile and began walking briskly back to class, stumbling over his feet once halfway down the hall. Lily had not meant to stare. She actually had no idea why she had. But what was done was done. The pressure in her bladder returned to the forefront of her mind, and she went into the bathroom. Entering the closest stall to her, she latched the door and spun around. The empty toilet paper roll immediately caught her eye. There's no way she would have noticed that in the dark. She swiftly changed stalls. That was a close one. As she finished up and washed her hands, Lily hoped Mrs. Carla was not really timing her. The hand dryers alone took forever to actually dry someone's hands. After giving up and settling for partially damp hands, she used her forearm to push open the bathroom door. Halfway down the hall, she felt something under her right foot. She instinctively halted and moved back to see what she had stepped on. It appeared to be a 9-volt battery. She found it strange that it had not stuck out to her on her first trip down the corridor. She pocketed the item and returned to class preparing to endure the comment Mrs. Carla would surely make about her time gone. Chapter 4. The Battery Runner The following Wednesday held one of the best events to occur on school grounds. Once a year, the city council hosted what they called the Popsicle Walk. It was a charity event that took place at the track which encircled the elementary football field. The students would attend during the period number that corresponded with their grade. First graders would attend first period and so on. Each student was given a popsicle and asked to walk at least one mile, which was equivalent to about four laps around the track. The city council donated $10 to a local cancer research hospital for every mile. Free frozen treats on top of getting to essentially skip a period of class made the event a school-wide favorite. For the older students, especially the boys, it had become a source of yearly competition. Instead of walking, they would scarf down their popsicles and run as many laps as they could. Water was also provided as encouragement. The record so far was three miles, which was 12 laps. The student who had managed it had been held back two years in a row, though, so there had been an unfair advantage. Regardless, his record stood, an open challenge to all. Lily, Emmy, Callan, William, and his friend Dylan strode down the track side by side, occasionally moving for the passing runner. Lily was slightly disappointed that the event took up her sixth period rather than an earlier one. She, along with Emmy and Callan, usually had physical education that period, which already felt like a free class. If only they could have skipped English like William and Dylan. Regardless, it was a beautiful day out. The sky was blue, showcasing towers of puffy white clouds. Their patterns overhead were so intricate that it made one wonder if there might be an entire other world above the cotton masses. A cool breeze swept through Lily, ruffling her clothes and giving her a good taste of her hair, which she promptly put into a ponytail. Teachers stood on the sidelines, talking amongst themselves while handing out cups of water. 
The sixth grade class had just arrived, so most of the students, including Lily and her friends, had just gotten their popsicles. These were the kind frozen in rectangular plastic tubes, rather than the variety with a stick jutting out of the bottom. After the top was cut, the flavored ice was pushed up and slowly eaten away until all that remained was the juice at the bottom of the pouch. That was the best part. One would then throw their head back, tip the pouch up, and let the cool liquid run down into their mouth. As they walked, they began enjoying their flavored ice. All except Emmy. Emmy, why aren't you eating your popsicle? William asked. He, of course, was the first to notice this. I just spit out my gum, she explained with disappointment. I've still got that minty taste in my mouth. She always chews gum and P.E., Callan added. It's one of the few classes we can get away with it. Oh, man, that's no good, William replied, adopting a more sympathetic tone. It's okay. I'll just wait until the taste goes away, Emmy shrugged. She suddenly set her sights on Lily. It's just so cold on my hands, she said, sticking the tube of ice on the back of her best friend's neck. Lily squealed and dodged, coming away with a grin. They all laughed. What color popsicle did you get, Lily? Dylan asked once she had composed herself. Green, she responded, holding her treat up to the sunlight. They didn't have yellow. Me too, Dylan pitched his voice up. He offered a high five and Lily gave him one. He was always doing that. Callan and William also had the same color popsicle. Theirs was blue, while Emmy's, of course, was purple. Mine's almost gone, Dylan groaned, comparing his to Lily's, which had only been whittled down a couple of bites. Give me yours. He made a lunge for her hand, and she spun away with a smile. Had his playfulness ended there like Emmy's, she would not have minded it. However, that high five had given Dylan more encouragement than she had intended. She did not want to wrestle him. He kept coming and she kept evading, clinging tightly to her treasure. She had to ask him to stop a couple of times before he finally relented. The freckled boy always seemed to take things too far, at least with her. Though he was usually tolerable when William was around, he could be a pest. But he was going to start running the track as soon as his popsicle was gone. She was now looking forward to this. So what's everyone doing tonight? William finally asked, most likely attempting to ease the awkwardness created by his friend. He usually got embarrassed when Dylan acted up. Maybe this was because he felt responsible for his companion, having been the one who introduced him to the girls. Nothing, Lily answered first, hoping that by doing so, she would assure her cousin that everything was fine. Same, Callan spoke next. I've got karate, Emmy announced. Isn't that usually on Tuesdays? Lily inquired, her curiosity wrinkling her eyebrows. Yeah, but Master Osaka's wife was sick yesterday, so he moved it. Incoming! The voice came from behind as the kids glanced over their shoulders to see two boys jogging towards them. Their group parted in the middle like sliding doors, allowing the runners to pass. As they did, Lily paused for a moment, noticing something on the ground. Her friends quickly spotted her hesitation and waited up. What is it? William asked as his cousin stooped down. She held her answer until after acquiring the object and returning to the group. It's a battery. Her voice was hushed as if it were a secret. That's random, Callan remarked. It's weird, Lily thought aloud. I found this exact kind of battery in the hallway on Monday. A nine volt? William wondered with some interest. Yeah, and the exact same brand. And it's warm for some reason. It's probably been out here a while, Callan suggested. I bet the sun heated it up. But we've passed this spot once already, Lily countered. Maybe we missed it, Emmy guessed. Lily placed the battery in the back pocket of her athletic shorts as they began to walk again. Don't forget that's there and sit on it, William jested. 
Lily wrinkled her nose at him. Well, this is fascinating and all, Dylan spoke up, but I think I'm going to start running. Oh, no, you don't, William exclaimed, jumping onto his friend's back and hanging on. He still did that sometimes. Old habits die hard. The difference was that these days he only did it to his guy friends. It seemed to be a game they played. Don't make me power slam you, Dylan challenged, smiling under the weight. Boys, that's enough. William, get off Dylan now, Miss Cassandra's voice echoed from the trackside table. Yes, ma'am, the boys groaned, separating. I'm taking off for real now, Dylan announced once he had caught his breath. Bye, girls. Bye, Dylan, Emmy and Callan echoed one another. Bye, Lily, Dylan said, looking directly at her. Bye, Dylan, she replied, drawing out each word in response to being singled out. Then he was off. He totally likes you, Callan teased once Dylan was out of listening range. Emmy giggled. Lily shook her head back and forth dismissively. He also likes Megan and Stephanie, she stated, more amused than anything. And Meredith, Emmy added. And Alyssa, William groaned. Dylan was ultimately a nice guy, but he did always seem to be coming and going. He had a lot of friends and tended to rotate between groups as the feeling hit him. I bet he'd be yours if you wanted, Callan continued. She enjoyed this kind of talk. Lily just stared at the track. Truth be told, she had not given much thought to such things. Oh no, Emmy gasped, startling her comrades. What is it? William stuttered out of concern. My popsicle melted. The plastic tube in her hand was now filled with a dark purple liquid. William sighed deeply, clearly relieved. Is that all? Lily immediately knew he should not have said that. What do you mean, is that all? Emmy turned on him. It's popsicle day and I didn't get to eat my popsicle. Whoa, okay, okay, I'm sorry. William verbally retreated. After a pause and an apologetic look, he asked with another sigh, Do you want me to try to get you another one? There's no way, Emmy stated. The teacher said only one popsicle per person. This was a well-known rule. William gently took the melted treat from her hand. Let me give it a go. I have a way with the teachers. That's a good one, Callan mocked. Her words rang true, though. The boy's conduct grade testified against him. He would be the last person granted a favor by the staff, and he knew it. This meant the boy must have a trick up his sleeve. Lily made eye contact with her cousin. He nodded his head towards the popsicle remnants in a manner clearly meant for her eyes only. She shook her head no as secretly as she could. William's eyes pleaded with her until she eventually sighed through her nose. Okay, I'm going to walk over to the teacher's table and ask them to give you another popsicle exactly like this one the boy announced, stepping backwards towards the sidelines. With one last hopeful glance toward Lily, William turned and strode straight for the main popsicle table, which was already being packed up. The three girls stood on the outskirts of the track and watched him as he engaged Mrs. Cassandra, who appeared to be amused by whatever the boy was saying. Lily had no idea what her cousin was telling their art teacher, but she was certain he was not pushing his luck for an extra popsicle. A moment later, he dipped his head and slowly turned back towards them. Lily saw her chance and acted. William's eyes were fixed on the plastic tube in his hand as he approached them. Yatta! Emmy exclaimed. She tended to mix some Japanese words into her sentences when she got excited or emotional. It was similar to an accent slipping out in moments of low inhibitions. It's a miracle, Callan followed sarcastically. The irony of her statement was not lost on Lily. Here you go, William grinned triumphantly, extending the frozen treat to Emmy. I told you I'd get you a popsicle, and I did. How'd you do it? 
Callan was the first to ask. I have my ways, was all the boy offered her. Oh, come on, Callan pushed. You've got to give us more than that. If I tell you my secrets, you'll be using them to get the teachers to do whatever you want all the time. I can't trust that kind of power to just anyone. William's humor took a moment to register with Callan. Fine, Mr. Big Shot, don't tell us then. I don't want to know anyway, she dismissed, trying to act proud in her defeat. I don't even care how you did it, Emmy addressed him. I'm just glad I get to eat a popsicle. Thanks, William. She held her prize away from her body and moved in to give her champion a one-armed hug. A moment later, the group began moving forward again, literally back on track. As Emmy and Callan walked on, unaware, William mouthed the words, thank you, to his cousin before the two of them caught up. He knew she was uncomfortable using her gift in public places. This meant she had just done him a major favor by changing Emmy's popsicle back into solid form and allowing him to play the hero. He owed her one. Hey, Lily, look, Callan motioned towards the ground. They halted again. More batteries? Lily bent over and picked up another power cell, and then another, and then another. Now there are two of them? William said, expressing his confusion. I guess you were right, Callan admitted. These are being dropped as we go around. Two more batteries went into Lily's back pocket. What are you going to do with them? Emmy asked her. Probably take them home and use them, was her response. Before they could start forward again, a runner zipped past them, nearly running smack into William. Wow, he's fast, he said, acknowledging the kid who almost mowed him down. He must have just started going. He needs to watch where he's going, Callan chimed in. The five spectated as the jogger rounded the top portion of the track. It was then that they witnessed a classmate named Garrett Wilkes stick out his foot and trip the poor boy, who ate the pavement. He did not get up. The girls gasped. I hope he's okay, Lily managed to say. There was a commotion behind them as the teachers became aware of the situation and began sprinting to the scene. Lily's group followed, getting close enough to hear what was going on without really being able to get a good look at the fallen runner. For a while, all they could see were the boy's legs and a pair of sunglasses laying on the track nearby. They walked the perimeter of spectators until they got a better view, at which point they were intercepted by Mr. Calvin in order not to get any closer. Luckily, the school nurse was already present and was the first to reach the boy. She examined his body for injury, flipping him over so that he was facing the sky. The kid's eyes were open but unfocused. He was clearly disoriented from the impact. There was also a deep cut on his chin. The nurse studied his legs, which had taken the brunt of his fall. Red streaks ran down them just below his shorts. Some of the onlookers grimaced, including Emmy. Upon further inspection, Lily realized she knew this boy. She had seen him just before finding that first battery in the hallway during a restroom run. He was running past me and suddenly he just tripped and fell, they heard Garrett say as Mrs. Cassandra interrogated him. That's a lie, Callan shouted, turning and thrusting an accusing finger in the speaker's direction. The teacher snapped her head towards the girl's group. We saw Garrett trip that boy as he was running. Mrs. Cassandra was as familiar with the Wilkes boy's reputation as a bully as anyone else at the school. Is that true? She asked calmly, returning her gaze to the accused. Of course not. Callan's a big liar who needs to shut her mouth, he shot off. Emmy ended up being the one to flinch at the knives in the boy's voice. However, as she shrunk back, the expression that appeared on Callan's face made it clear that she would not be backing down anytime soon. The girl could hold her own, both verbally and in a scrap. They had all seen it. But before Callan got a chance to retaliate, William stood firm for her. Or what? 
What are you going to do, little Wilkes? Garrett was the youngest of three brothers. They were a nasty bunch. The oldest had gotten expelled from high school the year before for starting a fight with another student and then punching the teacher who attempted to break it up. You shut up, William, Garrett shot back with a snarl. That's enough. The group had never heard Mrs. Cassandra raise her voice before. It shocked them into silence. Garrett, come with me. Principal Duncan's voice suddenly rose above the crowd. I want the rest of the students to gather their belongings and head back to the school to wait for their rides home. I hate that Garrett, Callan fumed as the group approached the front of the school. The covered sidewalk before them was the drop-off and pick-up point for every student, whether by parent or school bus. Please don't say that, Callan, Emmy spoke up, her voice more sad than scolding. Fine, I don't hate him, but if I had to choose between spending a minute with him or eating a mayonnaise sandwich, I'd take the sandwich. Wow, you really don't like him, Lily smirked. Callan gagged any time she even heard the word mayonnaise. Hey, who are those people? Emmy asked, pointing towards the end of the school opposite the buses. A few men dressed in gray uniforms stood around a white truck with a cherry picker. By the way they laughed and carried on, they must have been done with their work for the day. They're trying to figure out why the power keeps going out, Williams stated nonchalantly. They were stomping around on the roof fifth period. Really? Callan chimed in. I didn't hear them at all. I think I did, Lily added, but they weren't directly above my class, so it wasn't very loud. I didn't think about it much. Well, they were right above mine, William continued. We were all joking that Santa Claus had come early. A car horn blasted as a massive sea green pickup truck pulled up beside them. Lily could feel the bass from the music inside the vehicle slapping her chest as it radiated out. Come on, Cal, let's go, came the voice of her eldest brother from the driver's side. He had rolled down the passenger window and dimmed the music to call out to her. That's my ride, Callan stated coolly, beginning to sprint to the truck. Catch you guys tomorrow. Most of Callan's ruggedness could be attributed to the fact that she had two older brothers, both of which were in high school. It was obvious that she looked up to them, as she took after them in almost every way. And though their mother's orders were the only reason the older boys alternated giving their sister a ride home each day, Callan treasured that time nonetheless, though she would never say so. As the vehicle pulled away, taking the thumping in the air with it, the remaining three kids stepped onto the covered sidewalk. Lily let the coolness of its shade wash over her. It was not hot outside by any means, especially considering the wind. However, it was still a nice change after walking on the pavement in direct sunlight. What are you learning in karate tonight? She asked Emmy as they waited. Actually, tonight's just a sparring night, the girl answered, slightly muffled. She'd been caught in the middle of chewing a fingernail. Do you have to fight your classmates or Master Osaka? Just the other students, Emmy started, pulling her hand away from her mouth. Thank God, Osaka-sensei is so tough. He never even breaks a sweat. Plus, he tells you what you're doing wrong while you're fighting him. It makes it really hard to focus. Lily could imagine that. Despite the title making the teacher sound like an old man, Master Osaka was actually in his mid-thirties and at the peak of physical fitness. Do you like karate class? William joined in. It's okay. I don't love it. Then why do you go? Emmy paused for a second. Then she grinned. So I can kick your butt if you don't do what I say? This got a laugh from Lily. You should have beat Garrett up earlier, William joked, smiling wide. Only if he'd tried to beat us up first. Emmy's tone suddenly shifted to one of conviction. Osaka-sensei says we're only allowed to use what we learn from him in self-defense. The Cooper brothers actually got kicked out of his school for using karate to hurt each other. Is that how Sean got that black eye? 
Lily asked, making connections in her head. Yeah, he roundhouse kicked his brother where the sun doesn't shine. Emmy giggled. Though the girls laughed, William winced with the sympathy only known to males. Besides, Emmy continued after collecting herself, I really hate fighting. Mom only suggested I learn karate so I can defend myself, not beat people up. Makes sense, William admitted. Either way, it's super cool. And he meant that. He would have said it even if he were not talking to the girl he had a crush on. All of them admired the girl's skills. They had seen her in action during the demonstrations Master Osaka held during the yearly neighborhood festival. When Callan had first met Emmy, she had pegged her as a wimpy goody two-shoes. To be fair, the girl did have a habit of trying to please everyone. The main reason for Callan's initial judgment, though, was the way Emmy had an adverse physical reaction to violence. One time, the girls had actually been forced to turn off an action movie when it caused Emmy to start shaking and hyperventilating. However, despite all this, Callan had been forced to alter her opinion after attending one of Master Osaka's demonstrations with Lily and William. Somehow, this same girl was not only at the top of her class physically, but could force someone twice her size into submission. A blue, compact SUV pulled up parallel to the sidewalk. Instinctively, Emmy began walking towards her ride. See you later, she waved, opening the car door. Konnichiwa, Lily-chan, Emmy's mother greeted, rolling down the window. Konnichiwa, Mrs. Easton, Lily recited her usual response. Oh, William-kun, hisashiburi. Konnichiwa, Mrs. Easton, William responded after a slight hesitation. Was the popsicle walk fun? She addressed them both. It was great, Lily answered. William nodded his head in agreement. I'm glad, Mrs. Easton chirped. Seeing that her daughter had gotten situated in the car, she then said, Well, have a nice day, you two. You too, they replied, one after the other. William turned to Lily after the car had moved on. What did she say to me? He asked earnestly. Lily began to laugh. Long time no see. Though Emmy's mother was only part Japanese, she valued her cultural roots, taking great personal joy in teaching any guests both the language and tradition. Lily had spent enough time at her best friend's house to become accustomed. Before anything else could be said, William's ride appeared in front of them. Lily's aunt waved. He perked up, as if remembering something at the last second. Hey, would you want to go to the fort tonight if we can? Since Emmy's got karate, we won't hurt her feelings by going. True. She thought it over. I'll ask my parents and call you later. Okay, see ya. As Lily waved goodbye to the car, it became apparent that her mother was running late again. This usually happened when the woman tried to run errands in the 20-minute space between picking up Miles and getting her daughter. The younger grades got out before the upperclassmen at the elementary school. It was really inconvenient sometimes. The buses had not yet left, so a number of teachers and students stood around her. She stared into the distance and listened to her surroundings, honing in on a sentence or two of a conversation here and there. Did you know we get pizza for lunch tomorrow? Joey got sent into the hallway for cheating on a test today. Check out this green fuzzy thing. I think it's a caterpillar. The poor boy was all scraped up. This last bit caught her attention. It had come from a teacher. More specifically, there was a group of three female faculty members standing behind her, speaking just above a whisper. She assumed they were talking about the runner who had fallen earlier. Lily listened in. What did you do? One of them asked, her voice saturated with concern. What could we do? The original speaker replied. We disinfected him, bandaged him up, and made sure he got on the bus. If it had happened earlier in the day, we would have called his mother. I doubt she would have come, the third instructor commented. Why do you say that? 
You know what kind of woman she is. Sometimes I think she could care less about the welfare of her own son. Too busy running around. Poor boy, the second voice spoke again. I tell you, I have to wonder what goes on in that house. He's practically a zombie in my class. That's strange, because he's very up and down when I have him second period, the original teacher interjected. One minute he's wide awake answering questions, and the next his head's bobbing. Probably a thyroid issue, the second woman stated. Lily had heard this term many times before. Her parents actually had Miles tested a few years ago to see if there was some biological reason behind his calmness. They concluded that he was just a quiet boy. It almost seems like it could be a mild form of narcolepsy, the third woman speculated. Have you tried suggesting he get tested? The first woman asked. I've sent notes on several occasions. Like I said, his mother, honk. Lily jerked, her eyes refocusing. Her mother sat motioning from their car, which had snuck up beside her as she eavesdropped. Girl, I expect that kind of zoning out from your brother, but you are usually more alert, her mother jested as Lily opened the back door. Sorry, I was listening to something, she apologized, throwing her backpack in the space next to Miles before hoisting herself into the vehicle. As she landed on the seat, pain shot up her spine from her rear. She could not stifle a yelp as she arched her back and pushed up with her legs to alleviate the sting. Reaching into her back pocket, Lily pulled out the three 9-volt batteries and slid gently back into a sitting position. What's wrong? Her mother asked upon hearing the cry. Just sat on something. I'm okay. The power cells were dropped into the front pouch of her school bag. Why did William always have to be right? Regardless, she decided to keep the scene to herself. If her cousin knew how prophetic he had been, she would never hear the end of it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Did you know that The Many Faces of Lily Andrews has companion music? There's an eight-song collection called The Apristi EP, written by Kevin Morris, available now on Spotify or wherever you get your music. I tried to write the lyrics in a way that won't spoil the plot, so feel free to listen in any order you like. But my hope is that the songs will mean more after hearing the story. A link to that is available in the show notes. Until next time.